We read the Holy Scriptures together this morning in Ephesians chapter 1. We read the first 14 verses of the chapter. And we read this in connection with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, who is mentioned especially in verses 13 and 14 of the passage. So Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints, which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to the, his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. We read the word of God that far this morning. I call your attention to the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 20. Lord's Day 20. What dost thou believe concerning the Holy Ghost? First, that he is true and co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. Secondly, that he is also given me to make me, by a true faith, partaker of Christ and all his benefits, that he may comfort me and abide with me forever.
Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the third part of the Apostles' Creed is about God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. This third and last section of the Apostles' Creed teaches us truths about the person and work of the Holy Spirit, particularly his work of sanctification, but really it includes the whole work of the Holy Spirit, delivering us from our sin, from the power of sin and the dominion of sin, and consecrating us to God in the church. And that work of the Holy Spirit will reach its climax at the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, the last two articles of the Apostles' Creed. We are entering now into the third part of the Creed. We have finished considering the first part of the Apostles' Creed, which taught us about God the Father and our creation, focusing on his works of creation and providence. We have also finished considering the second part of the Apostles' Creed, which taught us about God the Son and our redemption. Now we come to the third part. And the eighth article of the Creed is the one in which we confess personally from the heart, I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Catechism in Lord's Day 20 does not give us a thorough explanation of the person and work of the Holy Spirit, but the Catechism focuses on the Holy Spirit's work in us as believers. Notice, the Catechism asks us a very simple question in Lord's Day 20. What dost thou believe concerning the Holy Spirit? And the answer that the Catechism gives us, although it does briefly mention that the Holy Spirit is true and co-eternal God with the Father and Son, it does not enter into a lengthy explanation of what that means of the person of the Holy Spirit, but rather moves quickly and immediately to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And you'll notice there, too, the Catechism does not even mention the work of the Holy Spirit in the creation of the world and in the providence of God. It doesn't deny those works of the Holy Spirit, but it passes them by in order to focus our attention on the work of the Spirit in us, in our hearts and in our lives as believers. The Catechism teaches us that the Spirit is also given me to make me, by a true faith, partaker of Christ and all his benefits, that he may comfort me and abide with me forever. So you notice the personal approach and emphasis of the Catechism in the Lord's Day, and that is in keeping with the whole of the Catechism, as you know. We are always taught about the truth from a personal perspective. What does the truth of the Holy Spirit mean to me and to you? So I call your attention to the Lord's Day under the theme, Believing in the Holy Spirit, one who has been given to me, second, who imparts spiritual benefits to me, and then thirdly, who is true and eternal God.
God. The Catechism teaches what the Scriptures also teach, that the Holy Spirit has been given to me, and he has been given to you. That is one of the things that you believe and confess when you say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. What do you mean by that? One of the things that you mean is to say, I believe that the Holy Spirit has been given to me. To me. Not only to others, but also to me. So that he dwells in my heart. Now if we scan the scriptures, we find that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was not yet given to the people of God in the measure and in the manner in which he has been given to us. The Holy Spirit was not yet poured out in the Old Testament. We find in John 7, verse 39, that one day in the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John, Jesus spoke of the Spirit which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified, John says. But we live in the New Testament, and we know that when Jesus was glorified, then the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, verse 1 through 4, teaches us that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, after Jesus was glorified, the Holy Spirit was poured out. The Holy Spirit was poured forth from heaven by Jesus as a mighty flood of grace and mercy and salvation upon the whole of his church. And that like never before. And therefore the Holy Spirit has been poured out and given to me and to you as well as believers in the New Testament church. What Paul wrote to the Corinthians also applies to us, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 22, where he says that God hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Notice there the apostle speaks of the earnest of the Spirit. And he speaks of him in those words in our passage too. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. He says, Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. We have been given the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful gift of God. Why has God given to me and to you the Holy Spirit? The reason God has given us the Holy Spirit is not that we have earned him, that we have earned the right to receive the Holy Spirit by our own works or by our own obedience or by our own personal worth or by anything that we are or anything that we have done. The Apostle writes to the Galatians, chapter 3, verse 2, This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How did you receive the Spirit? By the works or by faith? 
And it's a rhetorical question. The answer is not by the works of the law, but by faith. We receive the Holy Spirit not because we made ourselves worthy by doing the works of the law. Rather, we received the Spirit only because of the gracious good pleasure of God when he elected us in Christ, when he predestinated us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's the thrust of the passage that we read in Ephesians 1. That God blesses us with all spiritual blessings in Christ according as he has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He predestinated us in Christ according to the good pleasure of his will. Simply because God was pleased to choose us in Christ. That's why he also bestowed upon us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have been sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, the earnest of our inheritance, because we have been elected in Christ to salvation. Therefore, when I confess I believe in the Holy Spirit, and I believe the Spirit has been given to me, it's the same as confessing I believe. God loves me. And God has loved me from all eternity. When he set his love upon me in election, in his eternal and sovereign decree, before the world began. I believe the Holy Spirit has been given to me. You believe that. And the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us, brings to us nothing less than salvation itself. He brings to us and applies to us and bestows upon us the riches and the blessings of salvation that are in Jesus Christ. Now, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. The Scriptures focus our attention on Christ. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is the Son of God who came into the world, who took on flesh and blood, who took on our human nature. Jesus was so named because he would save his people from their sins, Matthew 1, verse 21. He came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus has accomplished our salvation when he obeyed the law of God that we don't obey, when he perfectly obeyed that law to become our righteousness, even unto the death of the cross, when he shed his precious blood on the cross in obedience to the will of God, in order to pay for your sins and mine, when he laid down his life, when he gave himself up, body and soul, so that he could become our righteousness, so that he could justify us by his blood, so that he could give and impute to us the perfect, spotless, stainless righteousness that we need before the judgment of God. Jesus is our Savior, who by his suffering has appeased the wrath of God, who has suffered the judgment of God in the depths of hell, when all the billows of God's wrath washed over him in the darkness of eternity. And Christ is our Savior because he is risen from the dead. He has burst forth from the grave, and he now is the firstfruits of everlasting life. 
But Christ, who has accomplished our salvation fully and perfectly, has ascended up into glory. He has been glorified to the right hand of the majesty on high. And he is no longer with us here on earth. And when Jesus ascended to the right hand of God, Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2 that he received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, there at the right hand of God, received from the Father the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when he received the Holy Spirit, that was a revelation of the eternal procession of the Spirit from the Father to the Son within the Blessed Trinity. The Father is eternally sending the Spirit and giving the Spirit to the Son within the Trinity. He is continually, eternally breathing the Spirit. And the Son breathed the Spirit to the Father. But when Jesus accomplished our salvation and ascended up into glory, he received from the Father the Holy Spirit in a special way. He became the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit became the Spirit of Christ. Just as the Son became Christ in the Incarnation, the Spirit became the Spirit of Christ at the Ascension and on the day of Pentecost. So that now Christ, who holds the treasury of the riches of salvation, gives us the Holy Spirit in order to bring that salvation to us personally and experientially. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He has been given to me to make me by a true faith partaker of Christ and all his benefits. The Holy Spirit brings me into possession of the riches of salvation by engrafting me into Christ. That's the first thing he does. Jesus pours the Spirit into me and the Spirit brings me into Christ. He engrafts me. He unites me into Christ. That's what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, when he says, By one Spirit, we all are baptized into one body, the one body that has the one head. The Spirit baptizes us into that one body and unites us to the one head, Jesus Christ. When the Spirit engrafts me into Christ, just as a vine is engrafted into, uh, just as a branch is engrafted into the vine, then the precious life-giving sap of the vine flows through that bond into the branch, which is me, and makes me alive. And gives me that blessing of salvation in principle. He regenerates me. I'm born again. I'm a new creature. I'm in Christ. And I'm in Christ forever. But then the Holy Spirit goes on. And having engrafted me into Christ, he also works in my heart a conscious, living, active faith in Christ. So that by the Spirit who dwells in me, I believe in this Christ. I believe in him. I hear him preached in the gospel, and I believe. 
in him. I lay hold on him. I embrace him. I rest in him. I trust in him. I hold on to him as my only hope in life and death, as my Savior, my righteousness, my rock for time and eternity. The Holy Spirit works that faith in me. I can't produce that faith of myself and by my own strength. In myself, of myself, through myself, all that I can produce is doubt and unbelief, faithlessness, fear, worry. That's what I come up with. But do I believe? Do I have faith? Then that means the Holy Spirit is in me, working in me, softening my hard heart, quickening my dead soul, opening my closed heart, and moving me to lay hold on Christ by faith. The Spirit does that. And the Spirit not only engrafts me into Christ and works a true faith in Christ, but he also strengthens that faith and nurtures that faith and causes that faith to grow. He waters that faith. How does he do that? He does that through the preaching of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments. The Holy Spirit calls a man to the ministry of the word and sacraments. The Spirit does that too. The Spirit, according to God's eternal, perfect plan, plucks a man out of the church and says, no, you're not going to go that way or that way with your life. You're going to be a minister of the gospel. And he lays upon him the burden to preach and administer the sacraments. And then he leads that man down his life so that he studies to show himself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth through the seminary training. And then finally he calls him into the ministry and ordains him with the laying on of the hands of the elders. And the Holy Spirit works through that pastor, that teacher, that preacher, to bring to us the word and sacraments because he is pleased to strengthen our faith, to nurture our faith, to water our faith through the word and sacraments chiefly. But it's only through the preaching of the gospel when that comes to us in purity and in truth. And therefore, we need pastors, preachers, who faithfully proclaim the gospel and who proclaim that gospel with zeal, with power, with enthusiasm, with joy. That's why we preachers pray. Every time we get on the pulpit, we pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit to work in us because we know that without the Spirit, we can speak words out from the pulpit, but those words will just drop off the edge of the pulpit and they won't do anything. They can't do anything unless the Spirit is moving in and through those words, bringing them into our hearts and using those words to build us up in the faith. The Spirit does that. The Apostle Paul 
said to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 4, I was determined when I came into your midst to know nothing except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. I didn't come to you in wisdom of words, not enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and power. The Spirit demonstrates Christ to us with power through the faithful preaching of the gospel. So pray for your preacher and for preachers that the Holy Spirit will be pleased to work through that preaching in our hearts to build us up in faith and hope and love. The Holy Spirit has been given to me to make me a partaker of Christ and thereby to impart to me spiritual benefits that are in Christ. Now let's look at those benefits more closely. You believe that too. You believe that the Spirit who is in you, if you're a Christian, you believe that the Spirit imparts to you these benefits, these blessings, these riches of salvation. And he does that through faith. The first benefit we can mention is the forgiveness of sins. The Holy Spirit makes me, by a true faith, a partaker of Christ and the benefit, the great blessing of the forgiveness of sins. He makes me a partaker of that benefit by faith, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he makes me a partaker of that benefit also in the way of repentance. He does not make me a partaker of the benefit of forgiveness without any reference to repentance whatsoever, but by working faith in me and repentance. When I sin against God, when I commit a conscious sin against God, the Holy Spirit is the one who dwells in me, who pricks my conscience. Do you feel that pricking of your conscience? That's the Holy Spirit in you. Do you feel that when the Holy Spirit leads the minister to preach, to strictly preach the law of God? to strictly preach what God demands of us, do you feel then sometimes as you're sitting there under that preaching that your conscience is pricked? That's the Holy Spirit. He pricks our conscience. And in that way, he leads us to a sincere sorrow over our sin. He leads us to weep and mourn that we have sinned against God. We have broken his commandments. We have provoked him to wrath by our sins. And in that way, the Holy Spirit leads me to confess my sin, to acknowledge my sin, not to deny it, not to minimize it, not to justify it. If I'm doing that, that's not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who leads me to confess my sin. To acknowledge against thee, Lord, against thee have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. 
Forgive me, Lord. Forgive my sins. For the sake of Christ. So that in this way of repentance, but now by means of faith, the Holy Spirit gives me the gift of forgiveness. It's by means of faith alone. Not by means of repentance. In the way of repentance. But by means of faith. Because there is no forgiveness except the forgiveness that is in Christ. The Spirit leads me by faith with a humble and contrite spirit to come to Christ and say, Lord, forgive me for Christ's sake. As I look up at Christ on the cross, shedding His blood for my sake to forgive my sins, Lord, forgive me for Jesus' sake. And the Holy Spirit then gives me that blessed benefit of forgiveness. That is, he brings me into the house of God where I hear the preaching of Christ again. And I hear the declaration of God, I forgive you. I forgive your sins. I remember them no more. I blot them out. I cast them into the sea. I forget them forever, forever, because of the blood of Christ. And then the Holy Spirit works in my heart so that I believe that. He soothes my conscience. He quiets my conscience as I lay hold on Christ. He doesn't deaden my conscience. We can do that too sometimes. We can deaden it. We can try to sear it with a hot iron. We can try to ignore and stuff our sins down. No. But in the way of confession and repentance, he leads me by faith to Christ And as I gaze upon Christ by faith, he soothes my conscience. As I hear the gospel declaration of God, I forgive your sins. So that I'm able to say, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. My sins. The Spirit is the earnest of the inheritance. Which means that the Spirit gives me a foretaste of that benefit of forgiveness. He doesn't give me the full, complete, perfect, lasting experience of that forgiveness in this life. He's the earnest of our inheritance. An earnest is a a guarantee. It's a, a down payment. It's a foretaste. The Spirit gives me a foretaste of forgiveness. But because I still live in this world and I continue to sin again and again and again, I continue to experience guilt and shame. He is the earnest of the inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, Paul says. That is, until I receive the fullness of my salvation in heaven. Then, then, I will never sin again. I will possess the perfect experience of forgiveness for all eternity. When the Spirit gives me the benefit of the assurance of my forgiveness, that does not make me lazy, careless, or profane in the Christian life. Because in the second place, The Spirit 
makes me a partaker of Christ by true faith so that I receive the benefit of sanctification as well. The Holy Spirit also works sanctification or the fruit of a godly life of thankfulness. The Holy Spirit works the power of the cross of Christ in my heart and life so that I am crucified with Christ, so that my old man is crucified, dead, and buried with Christ. That's the work of the Spirit, bringing the power of the cross into my heart, into my life. And the Holy Spirit brings the power of the resurrection into my life, so that by the power of Christ's life, he quickens me, he makes me alive. And then the Holy Spirit continues to work in me, that power of the cross and resurrection of Christ, so that more and more I hate and flee from my sins. More and more I love and strive to do good works of thankfulness. Do you love God? If you love God, that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Do you love God? Do you love your neighbor? If you love your neighbor, that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's the evidence of the spirits working in your life. We don't love God perfectly. We don't love the neighbor perfectly. But we do make a small beginning of that new obedience. We do make a beginning of showing love for God and our neighbor. We don't come to church merely out of custom and habit. By nature, that's all we can do and that's all we would do. But We come to church because we love God. We sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs from the Psalter because we love God. We worship and praise and magnify His name because we love Him. We bow our heads in prayer because we love Him. We listen to His word because we love Him. We want to know what He will say to us. We bring our offerings because we love Him. That's all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We love our neighbor. We love our wives. We don't love them perfectly. We sin against them constantly. But we do make a beginning of loving them too. We love our wives. We do good to them. We strive to do good to them. We strive to care for them, to provide for them, to protect them, to lead them, to create a safe healthy, spiritual environment in the home for our marriages, for our families. We love our children. We feed them. We clothe them. We care for them. We try to raise them up in the fear of the Lord. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We strive to love our neighbor, our brothers and sisters in the church, and our neighbor in need outside the church by helping them, giving to them, serving them, bestowing our goods upon them, feeding the hungry, visiting the sick, visiting the widow, the fatherless, the poor. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us, sanctifying us. The Spirit does not give us perfection in this life. He's the earnest of the inheritance. What is the inheritance? Well, the inheritance in part is that we will be fully sanctified when we get to glory. When we get to heaven, 
we will love God and our neighbors perfectly forever. We will walk in love forever. But now he gives us a beginning of that new obedience. Forgiveness, sanctification. And the Catechism also mentions that he comforts us and abides with us forever. Jesus said to his disciples, I have to go away, but let not your hearts be troubled. I will send to you the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. I will send to you the Comforter, and he will abide with you forever. Jesus has gone away. He's our Comforter. But he has sent us another Comforter, the Holy Spirit, so that Jesus himself, who is in heaven, comes to us through the Spirit to comfort us. And he comes to us through the Word and sacraments to comfort us, to remind us constantly, I am with you. And you belong to me in body and soul and life and death. You are not your own. You belong to me, your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And I will never let you go. The Spirit abides with us forever. Christ has gone up into heaven. But the Spirit, he's with us. He will abide with us until at last he brings us into heaven. The Holy Spirit is able to do all these marvelous things because he is true and eternal God. The Catechism answers the question, what dost thou understand, what dost thou believe concerning the Holy Spirit? And answers, first of all, that he is true and eternal, co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not a force of nature, a force of creation. The Holy Spirit is God. He is divine. He is co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. We believe in the Trinity. And we have seen that the Apostles' Creed is structured around that truth of the Trinity into three parts on the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And now we're seeing that not only is the Father God, not only is the Son God, but the Spirit is also God. He is also divine with the Father and the Son. These three persons all possess the fullness of the Godhead, and they have from all eternity. The Holy Spirit was never created, just as the Father was never created, and the Son was never created. Genesis 1, we see in the beginning already the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And the Spirit moved on the face of the waters. The Spirit did. In the very first moment of creation. And then God said, let there be light. And there, the Word of God goes forth. The Son of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, all together doing the work of creation. 
And therefore, the Spirit is almighty. It's not as if the Father is the most powerful, the Son is the second most powerful, and the, third, the Holy Spirit is the third most powerful. But all three persons possess the whole of the power of God. That's why the Holy Spirit is compared sometimes in Scripture to a mighty rushing wind. You can hear the sound thereof, but you cannot tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. Jesus says to Nicodemus, So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit is like the wind. Can you stop the wind? Can you harness the wind? The wind blows wherever it wills, because God blows it. And the Spirit is the wind of God, the breath of God, the power of God. He's invincible, irresistible, almighty. And therefore, he is able to do all these things. The Canons of Dort, Head 3.4, Article 12, says that regeneration is a work of the Holy Spirit that is not less in efficacy or in power to the creation of the world and the resurrection of the body. Do you think the creation of the world is a, a mighty power? And do you think the resurrection from the dead is a, a great wonder of God? It is. But the spiritual regeneration of the dead soul is just as great of a wonder. Only the Almighty Spirit of God is able to raise our souls from the dead, to sanctify us, and finally to glorify us. And the Holy Spirit is a person. He is not just the power or force that comes from God. He is a person. Jesus says that the Spirit proceeds from the Father, and he also proceeds from the Son. He does things. He dwells in us. He guides us. He comforts us. A force cannot do that, a mere force. He is a person. And this is a person who has always existed within the Trinity, dwelling with the Father and the Son. And now he is given to me. There's a person in you. A real, spiritual, divine person lives in our hearts. He dwells with us. What a great comfort that is. God himself in the person of the Spirit is in my heart. And there he cares for me, comforts me, preserves me, and will until the very end. What a mysterious gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. We can't see him. We can't touch him. But we believe That's the eighth article of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit, that he has been given to me and dwells with me. Give thanks to God for his wondrous work. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we give thanks for the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Thou hast done wondrous things for us. Grant, Father, through the Holy Spirit, that we may have a lively faith, that we may grow in our faith, that we may grow closer to Thee, that we may find comfort in life, that we belong to our faithful Savior, and that He will abide with us through the Spirit forever.